Welcome back to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast in partnership with the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association. Today's guest is Zach Ryan, head boys basketball coach of Warren High School. We talked to Coach Ryan about building this program over time, timeout strategy and development, communicating with your players, and developing a level of player commitment throughout the program. As always, thank you for listening to the After the Timeout podcast. All right, so let's get started with our opening tip. Um, you were recently quoted as saying that you always thought Warren was one of the best high school coaching jobs around. So I want us to tell you kind of, you know, after the summer here and, and getting going, um, you know, tell us about Warren as a program, um, you know, and, 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 you know, maybe some of your players with some of the things you got going on, uh, what you're most excited about. Um, and why do you feel so strongly that it's one of the best high school coaching jobs around? Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, I'm just very uh, lucky and humbled that I that I have this opportunity um, at Warren. And the, the, the quote you mentioned, um, you know, obviously I, I had been at Carmel the last eight years. The previous to that, I was coaching at Mundelein. So um, when I came down here about 2010, right out of college, um, I was on the Mundelein staff and that was when Warren was, was really doing well. And I just remember like going to Warren and watching their teams and kind of following their history and how, how, how successful they had, they had been. And I think that first year I was down here, they went down state um, and ended up losing the Jafari Parker's team. I just was always kind of intrigued by um, that job and, 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 you know, the, the type of athletes they, they get and, um, obviously the, the rich coaching history with, you know, coach Ramsey and coach Bader. And um, just, I always just kind of thought that that would be a great place to, to get to, um, you know, eight, 10 years later, I didn't really think that would, that would be the case, but um, you know, sometimes timing is everything. And, and for me, it just worked out that, um, you know, I, I, I can end up here after the summer. So, you know, this, this is I'm probably about two months into, into the job at Warren after the summer, it's been nice to kind of just sit back a little bit and kind of evaluate how the summer went. Um, because really it went really, really fast. There's so much to do, you know, as coaches, you know, how, how busy June is, but on top of just the regular busy June that everyone has, you know, we, we basically uprooted an entire summer league and moved it over to Carmel, um, you know, getting camp organized, getting, um, the youth camp organized, getting our schedules kind of transferred. So, it was, it was, a, I felt like a lot of it was more um, administrative. Um, and then the, the best part was the, just the two hours of camp and the games where we could, where I could just focus on coaching. But um, it, it, it was, a, it was a busy summer, a fast summer. We went through, we went through, through June with camp in our league and, and um, some tournaments. And then now uh, we took a week or two off and then we got, got them back in the gym about three days a week, um, just doing lifting and, and some open gym and getting a lot of shots up. But, um, you know, back to your first point with Warren, I mean, I, I think one thing is just the facilities, the amount of space there is, is, is unbelievable. Um, you know, the weight room, the, you know, we have basically some, some cardio rooms, a yoga room, like the facilities are, are um, there's just tons of space. And, um, you know, that's, that's something that's, that's great too. I mean, I mean, I know last week we went up into the storage area, just trying to kind of inventory uniforms and stuff. And there is just stuff 
all over the place. I mean, there is just, there's, there's so many um, areas um, that you can use and that you can, that can impact your program. So that was another um, uh, really intriguing thing. You know, for our summer league, we had five courts going. So in our main gym, we could make, put that into three courts and then we have a field house that could be, that could be put into two courts. And then, you know, at Warren, there's two campuses. There is, there's a, um, uh, a freshman sophomore campus and a junior senior campus. So that gives us options too, as well. So combining all those things together, I thought is, is what made, what made the Warren job very intriguing. And like I said, I'm just lucky that, um, you know, I, I, I'm where I'm at. So we wanted to kind of talk about a little bit of how you started uh, as a head coach and you in at Carmel in the beginning, you know, you, uh, as we like to say, we're just going to say your first three years, you had a, f a few more losses than wins. We're going to put it like that. And after that, you know, uh, in the, in the three out of the four years that we had an IHSA playoffs because of COVID you won a regional. So in those first three years, how did you maintain that level of commitment in the players and coaches through those first few seasons where maybe the, the losses outnumbered the wins? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I was, um, I, I was hired. I, I was, I was young when I was hired at Carmel uh, by the athletic director, Andy Biddle, I was, I was 28 and it was kind of late in the game too that year. And I would say the first, the first couple of years uh, was just basically just trying to, to build a program and to get kids out, and to get kids to buy into kind of what um, we were we were trying to do and to trying to sell. And yeah, I think the first year we went 12 and 19 and then um, 13 and 18 and then 14 and 16. You know, you know, we weren't we weren't uh, you know, we weren't above 500. But I think um, you could see the seeds were kind of getting planted. <clears throat> and those first three years, we played a lot of young kids. I mean, I think. Um, in uh, three of my first four years, we started at least one freshman. I know the second year um, we had time for starting two or maybe three freshmen just based on, um, based on numbers and based on, you know, if the kid could play or not. So um, the first three years, it was, it was, we we're getting incrementally better. Um, I think my coaching staff was getting incrementally better. And then um, our feeder program was growing and getting better. So I think by that fourth year, um, I think when, when we uh, won our, you know, our first regional, and I think we we're 19 and 12, 19, yeah, 19 and 12, um, that kind of set the tone for these last few years, I think. I think once you, once at any program, once you win, winning becomes kind of a habit. So there's an expectation there. Um, so then you go from 19 wins to 22 wins. And then I think the COVID year, we're 19. And then last year up to 23. Um, I think winning can be a habit, and once you can establish that, um, the rest can can kind of fall into place. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it it, it wasn't like uh, it wasn't something that happened right away. It took time. It took a lot of um, uh, a lot of open gyms, a lot of getting kids uh, uh, out for basketball, a lot of getting kids to buy into the commitment, um, your coaches to buy into to the commitment, and um, you know, like I said, once. Once you start winning, it, it becomes a little bit easier to sell those things you're you're trying to sell to the kids and to the parents and to you know whoever. So you just you just mentioned it in your answer, but you, you're a young coach and you get hired and you jump right into the East Suburban Catholic, right? One of the best conferences around. Um, so I wanted to ask you, you know, you, you started. What are some of the things you 
lessons you learned um, kind of being in that conference, maybe from other coaches or, or just the level of play? And how do you feel that made you a better, better coach um, and pushed you to improve? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, like you said, yeah, I mean, and I, I don't know if I mentioned this to John when, at, at some point when we we're talking, but, um, you know, I was guilty as when I was a young coach, I thought kind of I knew everything sort of like I had played basketball. I thought I knew basketball. And and what the, the best thing for a young coach, I think, is to, re, to for them to realize that they actually don't know anything. <laughs> and when I started as a head coach, um, I think um the the biggest obstacle for me was was delegating uh being able to delegate things to other coaches and i think one of the things in our conference you you'll know well, not the east suburban you notice is that yes there's some very good there's some outstanding head coaches but those coaches have fantastic staff and i think um I think one of the things I was able to do through those first few years is hire on um, some really good, um, dedicated coaches. And, you know, the guy that, that's with me now at Warren that was with me at Carmel, um, his name is Fidel Garcia. He came over in my fourth year at, at Carmel. And, um, you know, I was able to, and, and he's a very good coach, I was able to give him more responsibility so I wasn't doing as much as I thought I was, do, you know, as far as. Um, game planning, practice planning, um, meeting with kids, organizing all the stuff you got to do in season, team meet, like all those kind of things that that a head coach is responsible for um, that <clears throat> I was able to eventually, you know, I, I thought, well, I have to do all this. I'm the head coach. I got to do this. I can do this. Once I realized that, wow, like if you get good assistant coaches that are that are on board with you, they can help you out with a lot of that stuff. So that was probably the biggest thing I learned. Um, I also learned the importance, um, the, the importance of getting kids to understand the, 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 um, the conference that they were in. Traditionally, before um, I, you know, I came, Carmel wasn't very, um, didn't, didn't, wasn't very successful in the conference. Once we started to get the kids to buy in to see how good our league is um, and how good the coaches are, I think that's when we started to become more successful in, in the, the East Suburban. And like I said, once you start winning a little bit, it becomes a habit. So, <clears throat> and that conference is just littered with so many good coaches and, you know, Hall of Fame coaches and, and teams that are constantly, you know, competing to go to downstate, winning regional sectionals. Um, and I just, I just, you know, you, you always had to be prepared. Um, scouting was, is very important. Um, game prep. Um, being uh, having a regimented game day um, um, pattern that you go through, um, how you handle your warmups. I mean, everything has to be um, laid out and, and the expectations have to be laid out for the kids um, if you want to compete in a league like that. And the other thing is you're only playing each of these teams once. So you're only playing them once. You don't get another crack at them. So you got to be ready that very first time, the only time, um, you see them to, to <clears throat> compete because it's, you know, one, one loss can change the course of your, the conference uh, standings and your season, basically. So you kind of touched on assistant coaches. So we wanted to delve in a little bit to assistant coaches. First, I wanted to touch on something you had just said, which was talking about delegating to your assistants. 
What do you look for when you're hiring assistants to be able to then know, hey, this is someone I can delegate to? Um, I, I think, you know, it's it, number one, I think, and any high school coach knows that, like, we're doing this for more than, than, than the paycheck, right? So when you're, when you're hiring coaches, um, you want them to kind of be the same type of guys you, you are, right? Like, you know, a basketball guy that just loves coaching and loves working with kids and are, are, are junkies. So, um, because you can't, you can't be successful if you have, if, if your coaches aren't totally into what you're trying to do. Um, it makes it very difficult. I don't know. I don't care how talented a coach is, how, how many, uh, how great X's and O's, if they're not really going to, um, if they're not totally invested in what you're trying to do in your mission and, and trying to be successful, it's very hard. So the other thing I look for is like, do they want to eventually be a head coach? Um, I think, you know, I, when I was an assistant, my goal was to become a head coach. And I think the coaches I was under knew that and they could help mentor me and I could watch them and see what they like, what, what it's like to run a program. So if you guys, you have assistants that want to be eventually, eventually be head coaches or even better sometimes that were head coaches already, um, that gives you a huge, um, a huge lift. And I can't stress how, how important having good coaches is now at Warren moving on to Warren a little bit. My, my assistant that's, uh, that's with me, Fidel, um, is, is coming with me. And then I'm lucky enough on our sophomore staff, uh, our head coach is Don Close. Don, um, I don't know if you remember, Don was the head coach at Zion for years. He's, the, he's got the most uh, wins in um, Lake County history. And I get, I, you know, he gets to be, a, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's my sophomore coach. So I'm, I'm really lucky to have um, those two guys. And I've, I've had a blast getting to know Don a little bit here over the past couple months and just kind of pick his brain and just talk basketball because because that guy, I mean, he's, he's, he's a junkie, just like I am. So like, we can just talk basketball and he can give me, you know, I, I ask him questions and he gives me great experiences. Sometimes it's just stories. I mean, he's, he's, he's a really good coach, a really good man. So I'm happy to, um, to have him. So I think to answer your question, a combination of maybe guy that wants to be a head coach or a guy that has been a head coach and just kind of wants to step back and, you know, be a head sophomore coach and, and just worry about coaching and not all the other stuff. I think those are the two things um, when you're, you know, you're looking for an assistant that, that, um, you know, have helped me so far. So obviously, as you just kind of uh, discussed, you brought three assistants from, from Carmel to Warren with you. What does that do overall for the timeline of the program of establishing the culture of establishing uh, that winning attitude? Kind of take us through, you know, why was it important for you to bring those three with you and what does it do for the timeline at Warren? Yeah, well, no, it certainly helps. And one of them that um, came with me, so I mentioned Fidel, is who, he, this guy is going to be our head freshman coach. He was actually the head sophomore coach with me at Carmel last year. And we were lucky enough to get him a teaching position in the building. Um, that's another, um, <clears throat> that's another bonus, I think. A lot of times at Carmel, I was the only coach or the only teacher um in the building sometimes and that that you know creates different issues that you might have to to go through but yeah basically bringing some of those guys over they know what we're trying to do they've been a part of um of our recent successes um they understand our system um they understand the expectations i have for coaches and for the players so that helps a ton um <clears throat> you know anytime there's a transition like this it's 
difficult, but being able to bring guys, one guy that's with me and then another guy that's at the lower levels, um, that really has, has helped, like you kind of said, speed up um, what we're doing because it's kind of like, well, I, and, I, and I give my assistants um, a lot of freedom. So it's nice for me to, he knows what we're doing. Um, if, he needs, if he needs something, he can come to me. If I need something, I come to him. But I can basically say, hey, we're doing, um, you, he knows what the expectations are for the kids and, and, and I can trust him because he's been with me for four or five years. Um, that, that, that's one less thing off, you know, kind of off my plate. The other thing is at Warren, um, the, the, the numbers, um, obviously it's a bigger school, there's 4,000 kids. So you're handling more kids a lot of times too. So that, that creates, um, you know, different, um, different things that can, that can in a transition can be, can be difficult. So having guys that, you know, and guys that you trust is, is, is huge. Um, so just wanted to go recently you, you won your hundredth game awesome accomplishment um you know now you're going over to warren but i wanted to talk to you about some of the the lessons you've learned from losses right uh, yeah you remember the wins and stuff but i feel like a lot of coaches yeah we have this big win in region or whatever but it's always that one loss right where you you lost by two or maybe i should have done this or that so what are some of the things maybe even you know start early on and then as you got later into your coaching that you take away from losses? Yeah, well, I think, <clears throat> I think you learn more from losses than you do from, from wins. Um, I think that's, most coaches would agree with that. Um, I think, you know, most of the time, and, and I, I have, we'll have these discussions with kids and, and, and our players, most of the time, I think the games you lose aren't always lost in the game. It's lost in the practice the days before or the preparation in the days before, whether um, it's in the weight room or film study or things like that. Obviously, as a coach, there's, you're making, we're all making mistakes all the time. So as a coach, you make a mistake in a game. Oh, I should have called a timeout. Maybe, oh, I should have got this guy in. Oh, maybe we should have, um, maybe we should have taken off the press in this situation. I mean, those are things, those to me are the, the, the things you can watch watch film on at the end, you know, after the game and learn from that. Um, I think the, th the biggest things you learn are, are in the preparation leading up to that, maybe in your practices. And I think the structuring of your practice and, and how you lay out um, a regimen for your practice and, and um, you know, your stretching and, and making sure these guys are hydrated and that they're in the weight room and they're doing those, those are the things I think that pay off the most. Um, and, and that, and, and a lot of that, again, has helped from your assistant coach. I think this last year, <clears throat> what helped us be successful at the end of the year is I thought we were in tremendous physical shape. And I think that helped us win that last, uh, you know, win uh, a regional and, um, you know, lose and triple overtime to St. Pat's. But I think the thing that helped us the most, and that's something I had learned, is maintaining um, kids' conditioning and their strength and conditioning throughout a season. And I think that paid off um, for us a lot at the end because there had been seasons where we would have this great, um, great stretch, January, like beginning of February, right up until playoffs, maybe a little bit before. And I thought, even though we were winning some regionals and winning some games, we weren't at our very best. Uh, you know, are playing our best. And I don't think it was so much X's and O's and strategy. I think our guys maybe weren't in the best shape they had to be in 
even at the end of the season, um, because I, I was always a guy that said, you know, you, you want to cut your practice times down throughout the, you know, as, as you go through the year. Um, and that's fine. I agree with that. But I think the condition, the extra emphasis a little bit on their conditioning and their, their, the health of their body and what they're eating. I think I've learned a lot about that, managing that for an entire season. Um, X's and O's wise, there are times of course, where, where, you know, you're, um, you're thinking about who you could put in there, a timeout here or there. That stuff to me is kind of the easier stuff, if you want to say it, because you can go back and look at that and learn from that just based on tape and based on situational type of things. Um, the last thing I would say is I think also the emphasis, especially when it comes down to close games, because the close games you lose are the ones that hurt the most, right? Is um, really, really, and I didn't do this uh, enough early on in my career, is emphasizing situations. Um, in, in practice, at the end of practice, or whenever you want to do it during practice, putting kids in those in those situations so they can, can um, use them to learn, so then they can carry them into the game. And um, so I've really, the last few years, really have um, added that to our practice. And it's and it's and it's and you gotta you gotta really do it. You gotta car, carve out time to do it because it's very important. Um, because you know, as 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 you know, kids nowadays are playing so many games, whether it's AAU and summer league. Sometimes the situational basketball IQ stuff gets left um, left on the, the end, right? Where they're not they're not really working on that a ton. So we we really take um, we really put a lot of emphasis on doing that stuff from the beginning of beginning of the, the season all the way to the end, working on situations. So building on that, I kind of want to talk about timeouts. You know, kind of take us through what in your your eight. 10 years, what you've learned about managing timeouts, you know, the difference between a 30 and a full, you know, how you use your timeouts and do you use any of them early? Do you save them all to the end? There's lots of philosophies on timeouts. We just wanted to kind of pick your brain on kind of what's your timeout rhythm philosophy ideas. Um, save them. <laughs> I've always, I've always thought that um, I've always, you know, been a fan and, and been a fan of saving them to the end as much as you can. Now you're not sacrificing, you know, um, a lead or anything like that. I've always kind of used them based off of situations at the end of games, you know, needing to stop the clock or whatever, what, whatever you need to do that way. I also base it off how I just like the vibe of my team. Sometimes I'll take a timeout. So if, if we're going on a run um, and even if, even if we're playing really well, sometimes I'll take a timeout just to, um, show them, okay, this is what we're talking about. This little two minute stretch here that we're doing really well. This is what we're talking about. We got to build off that. If I feel maybe they're a little tired or maybe if there's one thing we want to adjust. Um, obviously if, if things are really starting to fall off, the, you know, fall off the, um, fall off the wagon, you want to take a timeout right away early. Um, I've always, depending on the team I have, if I have a team of, of veteran guys, I like to let them play through early struggles in games a lot. Um, and I think a lot of it depends on your team. It really depends on the kids and what kind of leaders you have. Ideally, like, you know, if you can, if you can let your kids kind of figure it out and save your timeouts to the end of the game, if it's, you know, you need them for substitutions or stop the clock or whatever it is, I think that's uh, an added benefit. Um, but I, I, will, I always think, you know, it, it's, Games can be lost if you don't have a timeout at the end, right? They can be lost if you need a timeout to stop the clock. It's like the kids make a basket and, you know, it's not the NBA, so the clock keeps going. You need to, you need to um, keep your timeout. So I, I've always said, I've always 
you know, been a coach that's kind of staved them as much as I can to the end of games. And uh, between 30 and full, I mean, again, that's that, that kind of depends on what you have. A full is if something if if your team's really, um, you know, really maybe um, getting run off the floor or they're tired or, or whatever, whatever it may be. I think the last couple of years, it's been even different. I've actually probably haven't used any, you know, there hasn't been a game where I use all my timeouts because we've had those mass breaks. Um, and those, uh, you know, those are another timeout. So, and, and I found those to be good and bad. I think sometimes it's just, it's nice to let your kids kind of figure out what needs to get fixed, um, especially in the first half of a game. So I, I want to go into communicate. Obviously you're, you're taking over, taking over program, move to a new place. So communicating your philosophies to your team. I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here. Um, for offense and defense, uh, boiling it down to one sentence, what is your goal on offense and what is your goal on defense? One sentence-ish. We'll allow for run each, on sentences. For each yeah. one? For each one. What's okay. your philosophy? Um, offensively, I would say attack. We want to attack on offense. That's our biggest thing. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, we like to play at a faster pace. So we like to try to get the ball out as fast as possible and get it up the floor. And um, the reason for that, I think, is just to me, it was always it always seemed easier to score score baskets when there's less guys on defense. So when we run our fast break, we just talk about having numerical mismatches. You have more guys on offense and more guys on defense. And we get our we really focus on getting our guys to sprint if they don't have the basketball in their hands. So if a made basket, missed basket. We're trying to get our guys to run the floor and and get up and score as many points as we can. We we think that um, um, you know I I we've just I played we've coached that way for a while and it's um, it's getting kids to understand the importance of if you want to score you can sprint and 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 score without dribbling a ton or or getting the ball up fast and and you know uh, you know in a secondary break and kicking and getting a one uh, one pass two pass layup or one pass two pass transition three so I would say we're always trying to attack um offensively and defensively I think you know we we just say we, we want to be tough we're pretty pretty much a tough man-to-man -to -man, um defensive team we're going to sit in a stance we're going to work you whether it be the, in the full court or the um the half court we focus a ton on taking charges and for us everything starts with our defense if our defense is solid and we can get stops and we can rebound um, I think that even when you're not shooting well, and this is something I've kind of, I've kind of switched a little bit to, I used to, um, in the, in the, in the summers, I used to really work on our offense and kind of wait, kind of focus more on our defensive stuff until the season. I've sort of flipped that because I've, I've learned that without any, without defense, without good defense, none of the offensive stuff can work anyway. So, um, you know, that's kind of, uh, that, that's kind of our philosophy. Um, the kids understand that if they want to play this way, they have to be in, 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 in very good shape. We're not really trying to walk the ball up and, and, and play slow. We don't do a ton of zone. And not that any of that stuff is bad. It's just it's what we do and what we sell. And I think at Warren, with the type of athletes, the type of kids we have, our, the system we've run in the past can be, um, can be very successful. All right, so I wanted to follow up offensively. You talked about running the floor, sprinting the floor, and I think everybody says it, right? Uh, but it's hard. It's hard to. It's really hard to teach, right? Like coaches, like, run, run, run. But he, how do you go about 
teaching kids what that means, what it looks like, how it feels, right? Because I feel like a lot of times like, coach, I am running, but then you get the eye in the sky and you're like, well, you're not running. You know what I mean? Like, so what is, how do you go about kind of getting that consistency? Cause that's the key to it, right? Getting consistent sprinting down the court. It can't be one out of every three. Right. Cause like you said, everyone's like, Hey, we want to run and do this. Like it, it's kind of something, it's kind of a, like a canned statement that, that kids or coaches always say um, for us, everything's got to be on a timer. So um, we, we, we have a couple drills where, um, they, they have to get the ball out and get to half court within three seconds. And that means when the ball goes through the rim until the, the inbounder takes it out, they have three seconds to get it um, to half court. Um, that's a three on O drill we do. We do another drill that's called seven and 45, where they have to get seven shots off in 45 seconds and four of them have to be threes. So basically there's 45 seconds on the clock. You got your five guys out there. Um, uh, they take the ball out as soon as the guy outlets the ball the clock starts they got to get four and when I say seven shots seven made shots so they got to shoot four threes and then three basically layups um, get it done and so like you said you made a good point it's not just you got to run 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 there you have to have certain um, objectives that they have to meet in your drills so that they get into the mindset of well this is what I have to do because the practices should be at least ours our practices are a lot harder than the game and um, yeah, you know, when we do our drills and that's the other thing that I've learned the importance of is, is having a manager. Um, uh, that's something I didn't even think about when I was a first, first year coach. Um, but having a manager that can run your drills effectively and know, cause, cause we do everything on a clock and a timer and that could be the big clock. And then, a um, like a side clock, that's like a shot clock or something for just a specific drill. But, um, for that fast break stuff, it's gotta be, there, there, there have to be objectives they have to meet for the drill to be successful. And if they don't, then they're probably not sprinting hard enough um, because either they're not in good enough shape or they're just not running hard. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's easy to say, okay, guys run hard, fast, like do that. But until they're put, they're, they're held accountable with a, with a, with, like I said, use a clock. Um, it's hard for them to, to see that um, without there being a, you know, objective to meet. And then my, my kind of follow-up on defense is, you know, obviously defense, will, everybody would say is effort and hard and all those things. But, you know, this is 2022. Incentivizing things is important. Kind of how are you incentivizing that key focus on charges? How are you incentivizing the, the, the you know, one shot by the opponent defensive rebound? What are you doing to kind of incentivize those things? Well, I think a lot of that, too, is in your practices, um, you know, we, we try to make everything as much as we can, whether it's shooting, skill work, office defense, a competition. And, um, you know, I think, you know, like you said, it's easy to say, hey, get tough. I think the, 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 the best way to build toughness in kids, and, and, and this could be in any sport, is putting them in situations where they have no choice but to be tough to get out of them, whether it's a one-on-one, a two-on-two, or five-on-five. Um, so, you know, and, and then they, they, they see those things. So if you're, if you're focusing and you're, you're emphasizing, hey, for us to be successful, we're going to have to take charges. For us to be successful, um, we're going to have to get stops. And then they see that, uh, whether, it is, you know, whether the, there's an incentive at the end of a drill or we, we chart charges, um, we, we keep those stats. Um, you know, some days it might be, hey, Gatorade for every guy that, that takes a charge. 
um, you know, things like that. We try to, you know, but it's more, it's more for the big picture. So if they see that they, that, that those type of things lead to success, all right. And it's, and it's showing them like this happened because you did this, this fast break opportunity happened because you boxed out and we got a good outlet. Therefore you scored like showing them why we're, there's a reason for everything we're saying. And you kind of touched on it where it's easy. Hey, run fast. But what, when the kids can see, Hey, this happened because you did this, then that's when they, that's when they can start, you know, duplicating those behaviors and keep, and keep working on those things because they see this leads to success. Um, you know, and I think that's just, that's just basically what coaching is, right? We're trying, we're trying to put them in the most successful um, situations possible for themselves and for the team, but they have to see that. And that can come within, within practice that can come within film that can come within a conversation. Um, you know, I think if, if you show them why this happened because you took the charge or, hey, we took three charges in the first half, we're up 15, that, that's why. That's part of the reason why. Um, you know, when, when they see that or hear that enough, then they start to pick up on it. So we wanted to get into, um, you know, this is interesting, I think, for our listeners. Right after you were hired, you obviously, you got a chance to meet with your players at Warren. So for our listeners who maybe, you know, want to be a head coach or just getting their first head coaching job, you know, what were some of those important things that you wanted to establish in those initial meetings? And in that very first meeting, what was your goal? Yeah, that's a great question. I, well, I, I'd say even before that, I would say the hardest, the hardest, um, one of the hardest meetings I ever had to do is when I had, to, when I was telling uh, the Carmel guys that I was leaving. Um, that was, that was the first thing that was, that was very, that was very difficult. That was probably the most nervous I think I'd ever been in, in coaching, whether it was going into a game or that was, that was very hard um, to tell, to tell those guys with returning guys. There's, there's three groups of people I thought that were, that were the toughest to tell my current players, some of my former players and my, my kids, my own kids. Um, those, those were the three groups of people that made it really hard um, because, you know, I, I had some great relationships at, at Carmel. I coached a bunch of really good kids, um, some kids that could play, some kids that were just great kids that were there with me from the beginning. And then, you know, this past year, just my own kids, you know, they're not, they're eight, they're eight and seven. Um, they were just starting, you know, with COVID, they kind of had that year off. They were really starting just to get into high school basketball and being on the bench, being at practice, being at games. And, uh, and, and our guys were great with them. So they were, my, my oldest son didn't talk to me for two days when I told him I was leaving. <laughs> uh, my daughter was really upset. And then she kind of came around the same day, but my oldest was, 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 was down because he, he loves, loved Carmel. He loved all those guys. Um, but now, you know, he's, he's coming to Warren camp with me and doing all the stuff he's, he's doing, you know, that he was doing at Carmel at Warren. So um, that, that was tough. But to get back to what you're saying, I think the first, uh, and then I had two meetings. I had a meeting with the kids, the returning players at Warren, and then the parents. And basically, the, the biggest thing uh, I was just trying to get through to them, uh, it was two things. It was logistical things about the summer. We had to get that stuff out. So uh, camp, you know, the, the administrative stuff. And then the second thing was basically, um, what, are we, what, are we trying to, what are we trying to accomplish? It wasn't so much, we weren't talking X's and O's and stuff like that. I just explained to them, um, what our expectations were and, and basically our, our big three things that I talk about 
um, all the time. And it's, it's character, communication, and trust. And uh, just call, just call it CTC. I think it's important that, you know, every coach talks about culture and what they want to do. I found it to be more specific and, you know, some coaches might pick um, their culture based on a, you know, a successful college coach or NBA coach or something like that. And that's great. I found that mine is constantly developing what, what, what uh, my vision and what our, our culture is. And, and I try to communicate this to the parents and the coaches that are and the, um, the parents and the players character, communication, trust. That's what we're going to try to build our program on. And, you know, by character, guys that are high character on and off the floor, um, guys that are, that are good guys, good teammates, um, uh, trust is, you know, we need to, in order for a team to be successful, the, the players, the coaches, the parents, they have to trust each other. And um, that's something that, that takes time and, and is, is, is worked on a lot. And then the communication part, all, none of that stuff can happen without communication. And we really, really focus a ton on that. And it's not so much communication on the floor, but I got ball, I got ball. That's, that's great. We, we have to do that too. But communication off the court um, about, um, you know, uh, 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 scheduling, uh, what's going on uh, at home? How can we help you? Just communicating all the time. I think that's those three things I tried to hammer home to those guys in that first meeting. And then we we've worked on it all summer, and obviously it's a pro, it's a it's a process. Um, but those those three things are kind of our our big three: character, communication, and trust. Um, or character, trust, communication. Those those three we just call it CTC. And um, we, we we felt that you know I feel that if you can if you can get those three things down, you can have a successful team. And that doesn't always mean you win the most games, but if you if your team buys into those three things and you can get your players. Um, to buy into those three things, I think um, the rest can kind of take care of itself. So, and a lot of that stuff's worked on off the court. It's not on the court so much. It's stuff that's worked on off the court, whether it be, um, you know, team building um, exercises or just conversations with kids, meetings, groups of kids, you know, those things can be built in a variety of ways. All right. So I want to go maybe let's, let's zoom out and go a little bit bigger picture. Uh, you talked early about, you know, the kids camps and, and you had all this stuff going. So I want to talk about like establishing a program like brand, right? Not necessarily what you're known for on the court, but as you said, you have, you have 4,000 kids in the school. You're, 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 you're trying to fill your numbers at the, each level. Um, you, you know, even down to whatever it may be, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, right? Letting those people know, letting people in the community know, hey, this is what our program's about. These are the kind of things we do. What are the things, some of the things you do to establish your 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 program brand and identity uh, in the bigger community, not just basketball program, but maybe in the school, right outside the program, and then in the community in general, the Warren community in general. Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, I, I and I think that kind of comes back to some of the stuff we were talking about earlier. We we want um, you know we want our program to be a class program, and that basically means our kids, our coaches, we're making um, good decisions. And that's part of um, uh, building character. We also want to create an excitement um, about basketball at Warren. And that's one of the things that, um, you know, we've, we've talked about is, is, is wanting the community to come watch us play and see what we're doing and communicating that out to them. So they know what we're trying to do. So I think this first, this first summer, 
Um, we started to touch on that, getting, get, getting kids in the gym, basically. I think that's the biggest thing with basketball. If you get kids in the gym um, and you can start working with them and they can start playing together and they can start, um, you know, being in our gym and, and, and meeting our coaches and meeting, meeting each other, I think that's the biggest thing. You just got to get kids in the gym. And I think we, the, the, that went pretty well, you know, for us this summer, considering the, the transition. But I think um, they got to be there. You know, they got to be there. And so I think having, the, having gym access for kids is huge because they're not going to be able to, you know, no matter what, you, you could tweet stuff out and all this, until the kids are there and you can work with them, you can't, you can't um, sell them on what you're trying to build a, in a program. So um, we, I, I've always thought that, you know, the gym being open as much as possible is one of the things you can do to, to get that and open to, to um, like our open gyms this summer are uh, that we've been doing in July are to the high school kids. It's for outside kids. It's for kids that are in middle school. You know, they got a sibling, like just getting, getting the gym open for kids to see it because if they, if they enjoy it and have an experience, then they might go tell another buddy or they might go home and tell their parents. I think it's just getting kids in the gym, getting kids with the ball in their hands, getting kids worn t-shirts. I think that's, that's where it all starts um, to generate, you know, that excitement. And the great thing about the, you know, this community is they, they want it. Like they want basketball. Like that, that was made very clear to me. And I think most people would agree, like Warren wants, um, Warren wants to have a successful basketball program because they've had it in the past and it's a basketball community. I mean, the football program has been able to do it. They've, they've had some, some great success, but uh, you know, they, they want it in basketball too. So the selling of it is not really, um, I don't think it's going to be that difficult, but like I said, getting kids in the gym, getting um, parents to see what we're doing. And I think one of the things this summer that helped with that was at our summer league. I mean, I think I would, I would probably guess we had the biggest summer league in the state as far as teams. I think we had, um, if you, if you add up the height, you know, we had six nights of varsity league, five courts going from about four to eight, eight uh, or nine o'clock, just having our gym open. They're like, this is our league. This is Warren. This is what, this is what we're, uh, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, the gym's going to be open. We're going to be playing basketball. And, and um, I think that that was a good step um, forward for, for our kids and, and for our community that they can come and watch. And, the, you know, the parents can come and watch and our league is at, at our gym. And we took a lot of pride in that. I think I just made up Warren wants basketball as his new uh, catchphrase right there. Warren wants basketball. <laughs> um, all right. So as we move into our last two segments, the first one we call 30 second timeout. Um, as we joke with our guests, there's no official uh, in your timeout telling you your 30 seconds is up. So it's a very loose 30 seconds. Um, you, This is your platform, your opportunity to talk about whatever you want um, about yourself or your program or your family or I'll be honest, lately we've had some guests turn it on Todd and I and ask us questions, which is always interesting. Um, but this is your 30 seconds uh, to talk about whatever you want. Okay. Um, what, um, yeah, I got a question for you guys. What, what made you start doing this? What was your, what was your reasoning for, uh, for doing this podcast? I know you both put a lot of time into it. Obviously, like we've been in conversations here the last you know, over the summer. And obviously it's something you guys do a great job of and take pretty seriously. So I just curious to know what, what was your guys's uh, reasoning and, and how's it going so far with the, with your guests and all that kind of stuff. Uh, to be honest, it was, I mean, we had, I don't know, we had talked about it, right, John, we had mm -hmm. like thrown about the idea, I think half jokingly, yeah, we should do a podcast. Right. Yeah. And then COVID hit and we didn't have anything to do. We were like, yeah, 
sitting around the house. We're like, what do we do? Well, let's try this, right? Um, you know, and and we were lucky enough to, I think the timing was right to have where people were kind of shut down and people were willing to talk. And uh, we got some lucky to get some good guests right away and just kind of built from there. And, and I think, you know, it's just, you know, John does a great job of just asking, right? We just, sometimes we just ask and people are more willing than you think, you know? Um, somebody you might not think would answer yeah. you'd be like, oh yeah, I'll come on, you know? So um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it got going from there. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just add, obviously, yes, I think COVID was a, a big driver in it, but I think it, it, it just became something that Todd and I, we just looked around and we saw so many coaches that were passionate about co just coaching and wanted to talk about coaching and basketball. And, um, you know, we, we've also, it, the, each of us have kind of found a little bit of our, our piece of it. You know, I, as Todd said, you know, I, I do really enjoy, you know, making connections and booking guests and you know, Todd does a ton of fast model content and um, putting things out there. And, you know, we really gain a lot of listeners because of the things he puts out there. But I think truly in the end, I think, yes, I, we do put some legwork into it. But honestly, it's just coaches talking about coaching. And, and, and we really enjoy that and getting to know, you know, people, you know, all around the world. I mean, we've had people on from Guam to Europe to to South America, to everywhere. And uh, so it's just been a really fun experience for us to just uh, get to talk to people around the world. And I think as Todd said, who would have thought that, you know, coaches around the world would want to talk to Todd and I. Um, yeah, so I think right. that's, that's been a real, uh, a real fun piece of it for us. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, no, I'm, I, I'm, uh, I think it's a cool thing you guys are doing. I think the more, um, more coaches can talk about coaching it's only going to help all of us so um and i i, I would add too you know we've really enjoyed especially in this within the state of illinois you know we've gotten a lot of you know illinois yeah. guests and illinois coaches and um just we yeah we all know the three of us all know that the state obviously does have a passion for basketball and coaching and you know that the illinois people are are want to jump on with us all the time so that's been really fun too the local aspect as well all right, Coach, let's get down to the hard-hitting journalistic questions of quick hitters. Yeah. Um, we're we're going to throw some stuff at you. Uh, could be basketball, could be not basketball. Most of the time it's not basketball. Just having, having some fun. First question, all right? You're, you're like four miles from Great America, okay? Are you a roller coaster guy? Um, I like roller coasters. Yeah, I ha I haven't been. I mean, I don't. I haven't been that great American in years. We actually have a bunch of our players work there. Um, cool. But yeah, I I I love those kind of things. Like all right. So yeah, you said you haven't been, but what was your back in the day? What was your favorite roller coaster? If you were going on a roller coaster, what was the one you oh had? Oh my to go? gosh, I'm trying to think the name of it. Oh man. So I I grew up. I grew up. I went to you know high school and and middle school in Minnesota, and we used to have this place like a six uh, six flags called Valley Fair. Um, I don't know if it's there anymore, but man, they had a roller coaster called, I don't forget the name of it. This thing was like, it was known for like, it's uh, the drop was like, you know, almost straight down type of thing, like without even any, like any dip or curve. I forgot the name of it, but that man, I was, I was all about the thing. I like roll. I like roller coasters a lot. I think they're, they're, a, they're really fun. All right. So we wanted to go into you're you're not teaching and coaching. You, you had to go a different career path. What would you have been doing? 
Uh, good question. Um, if I wasn't teaching or coaching, um, well, before when I when I went to school, I didn't immediately go into education. Um, I was into kind of the business stuff. So as a math guy, the numbers and 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 economics and stuff like that always fascinated me. So I think if I wasn't doing that, um, I would be in business. The other thing I've always been interested in is um, um, uh, movies. I've always been very interested in movies. Uh, one of my favorite shows was uh, one of my favorite shows, Entourage. Um, I was just been kind of fascinated by not not necessarily saying I would be an actor, but I was always just fascinated by like that, how those things happen. So um, you know, I think it would be something along along those lines. Um, if, if I wasn't teaching or coaching, I, I'm glad I picked what I picked. Um, you know, I know a lot of people have, you know, they, they work in an area where maybe they don't really like their job. I, I'm, I'm blessed because I love my job. And, um, you know, whether it's in the classroom or on the court, it's, it's you know, so I, I'm, I'm one of the few, you know, lucky people, I'm sure you guys would say the same, that, that chose the, the right career. And whenever I'm talking to students or players, I always, I always try to hammer that home to them, like, Make sure when you're making a decision on what you want to do with your life, it's something you you really enjoy because you do it for your life. Like that's your your job, right? So make sure you choose something um, that that you want to do every day. And uh, so yeah, I think that those are probably the two things I would probably be doing if I wasn't teaching or coaching. First, I well, I never wanted to teach or coach because I wanted to play in the NBA. And then when <laughs> I when I figured out that was. Uh, that I don't know what age that hit me home. I think it was pretty early when I realized, like, yeah, I think I think I think maybe coaching is probably my next my next uh, my next venture. <laughs> there, you, there you go. All right, uh, in game shirt and tie or polo? Oh boy, combination. I would say I would say if I had to choose, I would say polo because I'm a um, I'm a, I'm a sweater, so I sweat a lot. Um, I always have to have a towel with me and um shirt and tie i like wearing a shirt and tie but just it's long sleeve so you know and it's it's always usually a little heavier um a heavier um you know fabric or something so i'm kind of a loose fit kind of guy um because i'm just i'm i'm a hardcore sweater and i'm very i get i i sweat a lot during games so um i try to i try to wear as much dry fit stuff um as i can all right for you more are you more of a morning guy or more of a night owl um, that's a, that also varies too. During the season morning, when it's, uh, during basketball season morning, cause I get up early anyway. So I'm up really early and I go to bed usually pretty, um, pretty, uh, pretty early, um, in the summer night, I'm just up more. Um, so it kind of depends on the season, I guess. Um, the, and, and what's going on at home with, with the family. Uh, but I'd say probably more of a morning person as, as you know, as a teacher and, and, and a coach are always up early. Um, I, I, I would say I'm a morning guy. Let's be honest, during the season, the real answer is both. Yeah, true, right, right. Uh, and you got kids too, we all know that makes you a morning person at times. Yes, when they, of course. When they wake up at six o'clock, like what, we, what is going on here? Of course, yeah, making pancakes right above yeah. me probably exactly. still. All right, are you a pen or a pencil guy to write like if you're gonna go write something down are you gonna write pen or pencil pencil i've always been pencil just because that's part of the math teacher in me like 
Yep. I told I told my students, um, I don't I don't care if they use pen to work just on their notes or their homework or whatever, but they can't. If they, uh, one of the non-negotiables is you can't use pen on a on a test or on an assessment. Um, I've always just I've always been a pencil guy. I got my, my I got my certain type of mechanical pencils that I just yeah. I love. Um, so I would say pencil guy. Yeah, the math teacher came out on that answer yeah. right there. I'm a big fan of the uh, Ticonderoga number two, nicely sharpened, looks good on the paper, you know? Yeah, yeah. The, 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 uh, the, well, this summer I haven't been able to use those as much because I don't have a pencil sharpener at home. So I have to go, I've been having to go strictly yeah. mechanical, um, which, which is nice too. And then, and then you got some of these kids that try to do the uh, erasable pen, which is just an, Ooh, at the, that's, disaster. That, that's tricky, yeah. Yeah. All right, so. Well, pencil guy. Before a game, what's like your pregame music choice? My pregame music, yeah. like for like for um, the the team warming up or like no, it doesn't have to be the warming up. Like you're just you're in your office for a home game. What's playing? Um, I like '80s music. Okay, I like '80s music. So I like you know I like uh, uh, Journey. I like like. Uh, uh, the Eagles. I like I like all different types. I just have I usually just let my Spotify run. It could be new stuff. It could be older stuff. Yep. Um, the only thing I, I I just I don't get down with country. So that's pretty much the only type of music I don't get down with country, and I don't really like the heavy metal type of stuff. Like all all types of music, I I, I pretty much um, enjoy. Or sometimes I'll throw in a podcast. Maybe I'll start throwing you guys on before games. We like it. Well, Coach, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we we really did. Uh, I, you know, I followed you for a while at Carmel, and and Todd and I are both East Suburban guys, uh, and and so we really do appreciate you being on, and, and we wish you nothing but the best uh, as you start out at Warren. Thanks. I appreciate uh, appreciate you guys having me on, and appreciate all the stuff you guys are doing for for basketball. And um, I know you guys are uh, are very good coaches and 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 good guys, and so I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Plicky. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts by searching After the Timeout. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more coaching content in-game, out-of-the-game, and anything in-between.